Trainer's Trough, Episode 004, December 23, 2007. Hi there. You've downloaded the Trainer's Trough, the podcast for the nuclear training professional where the topic is heavy, but the treatment is light. Well, hi, and welcome to the Trainer's Trough Podcast number four. It is Christmas Eve Eve. That's what I used to call it when I was a little boy and just couldn't wait for Christmas Eve when Santa Claus was going to come and leave all those prodigious pile of goodies under the Christmas tree. Um, so this will be, although you pro- you know you won't be listening to it on Christmas or Day or Christmas Eve because I won't be able to get it out that fast, but this will be my Christmas show for you all. Uh, who've we got today? The interview today is with a very, very good trainer by the name of Jake Mazalevich. Uh, kind of a tough Slavic name. I don't know whether uh, Jake is Polish or not. Certainly Slavic name. You can get it at the show notes. It's certainly correctly spelled at trainerstrough.com, the show notes for the Jake Mazalevich show. Where did I find Jake? I went to a trainer's conference, and Jake was doing a session on questioning technique. And I thought it was absolutely, hands down, the best questioning techniques uh, breakout session that I had ever heard. In about an hour and 15 minutes that he had, Jake really gave good hands-on stuff. It wasn't just about direct questioning and indirect questioning and overhead questions. And it, it was some really solid technique. And I said, wow, this guy would be, I think, great to put on the show. It turns out he's, um, he got his chops in doing primarily EMT training, uh, and he's still a big EMT trainer, which, you know, you can, it doesn't matter where you are, right, or who your primary audience is, if you're a great trainer and your techniques are good. And um, he just kind of, we kind of bumped into him for nuclear. But he, uh, I think he's got his doctorate from the University of Virginia, so he is, in terms of academic uh, credentials, he's like the real thing. And, um, I said, well, you know, I'd like to get you on the show, and he was more than willing to do it. He thought that would be fun. So what would you like to talk about? And he said, you know, we hear more and more about uh, the new millennial people that are being, that need to be trained and how they're going to have differences from some of the older population that we've trained or the trainers that do it. But he said, whether people are young or old or not, I find that especially technical trainers, and that could be EMT trainers or nuclear trainers, anybody technical really tends to think of themselves as the informed expert. And they think that their job is to push the information into the student or trainee's head. And they don't tend to really give a lot of credence to the experience and the good stuff that the students bring to class. He said, I think that we need to work harder at pulling the material out, pulling the lesson out of the students in the training versus putting it in. So that's what the theme, uh, one theme of today's interview is, about 29 minutes. We'll cover a lot more ground than that, you'll find. But but just to let you know what's going in, that's why this show was titled The Pull It Out, Don't Push It In with Jake Maz Show. As I always say, I would be very interested in hearing from you. If you are listening to the show, please do think about dropping me an email. 
I don't have a my chingo or some other form of call-in or form or anything like that. Quite frankly, I think we're, for the most part, probably too busy to, to even do that. But if you could take a minute to drop an email, I'd appreciate it. It's uh, The address is bigpig at trainerstrough.com. That's B-I-G-P-I-G at trainerstrough, one word, dot com. You can certainly find the address in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you'd like to hear a podcast on, have me find somebody to do an interview with, or criticisms, uh, all accepted in the in the spirit of improvement given. So, without uh, taking any more of your time, what I'd like to do is introduce the uh, the twenty nine minute interview with Jake Mazalevich, uh, recorded some time ago. Jake, good morning. Good morning. Uh, glad to have you on the Trainer's Trough. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to have a chat with us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, I already described to my listeners in the front end of the podcast a little bit about how I tripped over you and I, I gave a uh, oh, salacious good good mojo to you about how I you know I was just uh, astounded <laughs> by it. Well, I, actually, what I did say, and it's true, is in the beginning of the podcast, I said that the thing that made me want to talk to you for the Trainer's Trough was that I had sat through the best questioning technique section uh, session that I had had ever sat through. And after two and a half decades in the business, I sort of saw that as a as a high honor because I'd, I'd heard a lot of people, myself included, not do a particularly good job with it. And I thought it was really well done. So I said, here's a guy who knows how to get stuff glued together. So, you know, that that's why I wanted to put you in the lineup. What I didn't tell any of the listeners about was kind of where you came from. So I guess I'd like to start out by just asking for just a brief for, for people who are listening. Of course, there's maybe some minor credibility for trainers trough, but if people get on and they say, well, okay, well, who is this guy? You know, Gary pulls this guy in. Where does he come from? You make me think of, uh, let's see, Tom, Tom Lehrer, who um, did an introduction one time. He played the piano and did, you know, um, kind of satire, to piano music, a very intelligent man. And one time he said, some of you may be curious as to why I'm a mathematician and how I got that way. And I always thought that was a great way to introduce himself. <laughs> so so how, how did I get this way? Gosh, let's see. The short version was probably in about 1986. I was in my first year in college and sitting in an intro psych class, which is one of the ones that I found most interesting. And I found myself over the, the course of the semester, you know, I had these little, you know, nine by 11 notebooks. And what I tended to do was take notes on the psychology on the, the top half of the page. And then for almost every page, almost every class, I would kind of draw a line halfway across. And then below that line, make notes on the teaching, almost like saying, you know, Dr. H, which was the, the professor's name who was teaching it, if I were teaching this class, I would do this. And it, it was just something to kind of pass the time. It was interesting. I thought, hey, this is what I would do if I were teaching this to do it a little bit different. It was interesting. And it didn't detract too much from the psychology. And so I wound up doing that. And, and that just I wound up doing that for about 20 years, sitting in other people's classes, watching presentations, thinking to myself, if I were going to do this, how would I do it differently? What would I try? And I wound up 
thinking enough of those thoughts uh, and eventually trying them out when I got in front of the classroom. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I got more ideas, tried more experiments, got more feedback. And after a certain amount of time, wound up sharing what I had learned from other people and what I'd thought up myself. And that's kind of how I got started doing what I'm doing. That's a great process description of getting into the kind of training racket, which, by the way, your description either makes you a child prodigy or a real freak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was sitting in Psych 101, I seem to remember looking at a girl with beautiful black hair who, whose name escapes me now. But that that was kind of what most of Psych 101 was about. I, was, I went to an all-male college, so that, that wasn't too much of a uh, concern. Maybe that was one of the benefits of an all-male college. <laughs> ah, yes. It keeps your mind clear. Yes. It's a Jedi schooling or something. But uh, but on the weekends, yeah, that, that, that was a, a wonderful problem for me on the weekends, too. You got here, the bully pulpit. You, uh, you know, there's probably 1,200 nuclear trainers around the country, and I certainly haven't... I haven't got all but of them on the on uh, RSS feed yet, but that's my goal. I can tell you that. And But I'm working on it, and I've, uh, you know, just I'll put in a plug right here for the June 2008 uh, Middle Atlantic Nuclear Training Group Workshop in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I'm going to be there talking about the trainer's trough and how to do podcasts, and we've already discussed. I sure hope Jake Mazalevich is going to be there doing something for everybody. You bet. I already have it on the calendar and uh, we'll figure out details of what we're going to talk about. Maybe some of that will come out of this conversation. So you've got this bully pulpit and uh, it'll get, it'll get edited down to about 29, 30 minutes worth of, of effective time. Um, Give us your shtick, Jake. What a, what a trainers ought to know, what a trainers ought to do to get better that you've seen. Yeah, the, the, the biggest problem that I see uh, with most trainers is that they try to push too much information into people rather than drawing it out of them. What, what I've seen, if I had to condense everything that I know, all the skills, all the Jedi mind tricks, as one person put it, I always like that term, all the if I had to condense down everything that I know and all the good advice that I could give into one statement, um, if you're a Trek fan, you could call it the prime directive as I do sometimes in my workshops. I would say it's this elicit content out of students and tra and trainees as much or more as you try to push it into them. Um, that's it. That's, that's basically the nugget. Um, that's almost like, the rules of poker or the rules of chess, you know, it takes you an hour or less to learn the basics, but to really master it in practice, you can spend half a lifetime trying to learn how to do it in practice. I'm still trying to do it, and I've been doing this stuff for 20 years. I've been, I like to think I've been doing it pretty well for about 10. Stop thinking, the best advice I guess I would give to, to teachers or trainers is stop thinking like a teacher or a, or a trainer. Stop thinking about teaching, the process of teaching, and think more about the process of learning from the student's point of view. Put, your, put yourself in the student's shoes. As you're planning your lesson plan, don't ask the question, what am I going to talk about? Ask, what are the students going to do do within the first 30 minutes of class. And that's a good way to start. Now, what kind of jumps into my mind, and I know is going to jump into those, uh, 
I was going to say nasty nuclear because it's nice and alliterative, but they're really not nasty. They're just uh, they're just <laughs> gruesomely practical and uh, and hard nosed. We'll say that the hard nosed nuclear guys that I work with, and they say, well, those students come in and um, they don't know anything. You know that's why they're coming to us is because mm-hmm. they don't know anything. So how do I elicit when when they don't know nothing? Hey, you skies. And that's great. And I get that most of the time from from most trainers. Trainers, of course, many of them feel like their main job is to communicate information. I got to tell you, this is this is the 21st century. You can get almost any information you want off of the Web, off of RSS feeds or podcasts like this. Um, The number of printed books uh, and CDs and DVDs that's available out there that contain information is just staggering. At this point, the main reason for people being in live classes in the 21st century, to me, is not for students to get information from the teacher. Students can get that information from many other places, including books or self-study programs. I know in the EMT programs uh, that I teach, the textbooks that they use are 400 pages long. They have case studies. They've got practice examples. They've got beautiful full-color photographs. They've got the entire content in the book. And what some instructors still get together and do is read out of the book, or they will read slide after slide after slide of the materials given to them by the book producers feeling, well, I haven't covered the content unless I've gone through and read all of these slides. And meantime, most of the students are bored out of their minds. Students students get bored out of their minds, but they feel like they don't have any control or influence over the class, so they just say, well, I've got to be here for three hours, so... I'm going to just suck it up and get through it as best I can. They wind up playing the role of a student accepting information. That feedback gets back to the instructor. The instructor feels like, okay, well, these people are, you know, doing the best they can. I'm going to do the best I can and keep doing what I'm doing. And and it just gets to be this kind of vicious cycle of more of the same. The students play the role of traditional students accepting information from the spout fount of wisdom and the teacher or the trainer or the instructor winds up feeling like they have to spout all the wisdom otherwise the students just won't get it and that's just not true to answer your question more directly what i found is students usually know a whole lot more than we give them credit for and if we start with what they know whatever it is that they know they may only know 10 percent of the content fine elicit that 10% of the content out of them and then build on that. And if all you do is elicit that 10% out and then do your regular lecture for 90%, you've done more than the person who lectures for 100%. But what's going to happen is when the students feel that interaction, when they realize that the instructor is listening to what they say, asking for their experience, their knowledge, students will want to learn more. Then they tend to go back and read more, ask questions more, things like that. And then perhaps the next class, if the instructor dares to try it again, he might be able to elicit 15% out of them or 20% out of them. And now we're starting to change that vicious cycle from um, transmission of knowledge by the instructor to the student to the instructor eliciting or drawing out knowledge from the student, which is, of course, the end result anyway. 
Okay, great, great response. Now I'm going to ask you the um, the Zen question, or the hard, in one sense, the hard question. Sure. How how does a person who probably grew up in that transmitter of information, that that guru role, uh, was a technical, especially in in my game, most of the people who would listen to this, nuclear trainers came out of it because they came out of ops or they came out of mechanical or what, you know, they came out of a discipline in many cases mm-hmm. and they were the expert mm-hmm. and really what they were, they were kind of the hands-on people. And you know what I'm getting at? I'm getting at the creativity aspect. So my question to you is, okay, you're this technical expert, you know, where do you go to get that, to get that creative input the what whatever you want to call it, to do what you just described, to do that, that out-of-the-box thing you talk with other instructors you find the most you find the best instructors that you know in the circle of friends or colleagues that you have you find the best instructors who know more than you do who are better than you and you hang out with them and you make friends with them and you whenever you can watch their classes or listen to them or say, hey, Bob, you know, can you videotape your class? You know, put up your little uh, Skype camera or something, your, your webcam uh, and videotape your class. Ask if it's OK from the students and just let me see, you know, let me see the first hour or 45 minutes of it. You watch other people. And you get one idea at a time. That's there's a there's a Japanese word called kaizen, and to to the best of my knowledge, it means something like there's no direct translation, but I think it means something like small changes, small isolated changes that accumulate over time to produce true excellence. I start and I the EMT folks that I teach, I just say when you finish up one class. Think about what happened, do an after-action report for that class, and figure out one thing, just one thing, that you're going to do different the next class. Don't make a list of 20 things and say, oh, I have to do these. Pick one thing and absolutely, positively commit to doing it. Plan it into your lesson plan right now. It's not going to feel like you're going to make a big change, but once you get into the habit of doing this, one new experiment per class, man, if you teach one new class a week or or it doesn't have to be a new class. Every time you teach a class, it's a new class. If you teach two or three classes a month, that means you're going to change your teaching, improve your teaching two or three times in that month. And if you keep doing that consistently within a year, you will have slowly, gradually revolutionized the way you teach. There's a there's a wonderful book that's out right now. Um, it, it just came out, and I, I finished reading it. It's one of those books that I wish that I had written, but I'm glad I didn't. These guys did it wonderfully. Uh, the book, and it's up on my website. Uh, you know, a little blurb is up on my website with a link and a photo of the book. It's called Made to Stick, and it's written by a pair of brothers, Dan and Chip Heath, uh, and it's they basically looked at what makes some messages, whether it's an advertisement, uh, whether it's a sales pitch, whether it's a communication from a parent to a child, whether it's a piece of content that an instructor gives to a class, what makes messages stick versus all of the messages that we hear are inundated with that simply don't stick. 
and they've done some great research, cited some very good psychology, um, some of which I know others, other research studies were new to me, and they summarized it and made it practical in a way that very, very few books uh, do. Um, but also, since they're writing a book on you know making it stick or made to stick, they obviously had to make their message stick, so they practice what they preach. And you'll see examples of that, and all that tied together means it's a fun, wonderful read. It's full of stories and great examples, but you walk out of it, I walk out of it, uh, really having a much better idea of how to make messages stick, how to make ideas stick. Um, and one of the things is that they suggest is experts, um, I think particularly technical experts, have something that they call the curse of knowledge. Um, once you know a complex, nuanced decision-making process, for example, an engineer that you know does pipeline engineering and has, for example, a 128-step decision-making process for examining and dealing with pipeline corrosion, it's almost impossible for him to share a summarized version of that. And so when you ask him, can you tell me just the basics of pipeline engineering? You're going to get that whole 128 decision point process, and within five minutes, you're going to just wish that you, you know, were in a conversation with your in-laws. That's his baby, right? Yeah. It, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of kind of training in good communication, good teachers, or good therapists, good ad people, I think, know how to find the core of a message. And that's why I think good educators and good trainers do. They take an enormous, complex subject and find the core of that message and start with that. A quick example is my wife um, uh, a long time ago took a few um, uh, piloting lessons, was going to get her pilot's license. She wound up not finishing because she, she really didn't want it at the end, but she started out. And in the very beginning, imagine how what kind of complex knowledge you need to fly an airplane. Aeronautics, avionics, physics, weather, meteorology, safety, radio, all of that stuff. You know what the first rule they told her was when they got into the plane? If the number of takeoffs equals the number of landings, you're doing okay. <laughs> the, the raw bottom line data, right? That's the core of flying an airplane well, and they did it, and it was, that was great instruction. Now, they took that, had she stayed with them for the lessons, they would have taken that one core piece of knowledge and slowly expanded it to more and more and more complex things until they got up to the whole 128 decision point uh, uh, flight process that a good, uh, good pilot would know. So find the core of the message. I love that. It's another one. You got your. I, I'm I'm good if there's only two in, per interview, and you're already up to three. So you're you're already you're you're winning the battle for I'm me. Pushing the limits. Yeah, out. you're right. You're on the envelope here. I get. I hope the the paper doesn't make too much noise on the. You're, you're going to need a new uh, envelope to to write on. I think that's your uh, you know phone bill that you're writing it on the back of now. When I have people present and do practice presentations. The, the rules of engagement, if you're, if you're of military origin, that'll make sense to you. The rules of engagement are, uh, it's a nine-minute presentation. You are not allowed to prepare any handouts, any flip charts, absolutely no slides. There's no audio-visual, uh, electronic audio-visual medium at all in my workshops. Now, I, 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 I don't suggest that people 
completely, you know, eviscerate PowerPoint or anything else, uh, slideshows out of their, uh, out of every presentation they do. I'm not a Luddite. But what I found is using flip charts or using um, whiteboards, dry boards, tends to make uh, the classes infinitely, dramatically more interactive. And unlike uh, a slideshow, which it has to be prepared in advance, you can elicit knowledge from the students and put it on the whiteboard or on the flip chart in the moment. You can kind of bake things from scratch organically in there in the classroom. And that, that psychological interaction gives the interaction, which is to me the only real reason to attend a live instructor-led class in the 21st century. That's, that is, that's cool. I could make it in that. I love to talk. I'm basically a frustrated nightclub comedian, so... I, that, I, but I know a lot of people who would just be petrified because really they depend on that stuff to get it done. So I think that's great rules of engagement. You know, get away from the, the slideshows have made things easy, very easy, too easy. But we can put all of the content on a slide and then click it up, assuming that when we've shown a slide, students have mastered the skill that we wanted them to master. And that's just it couldn't be further from the truth. Before they master skills, they got to have the basic knowledge they need to do to be able to do the skill. And the way people learn is by talking, not by listening. So whoever, as I've said before, I don't know who wrote this quote. I'd like to find out and, and attribute it properly. Uh, but whoever's doing all the talking is doing all the learning. So watch a traditional classroom and see who's doing all the talking. And you ha it's a balance, of course. I mean, if you're teaching, especially if you're teaching complex technical subjects like the stuff that you and your instructors are mostly teaching, there's going to be more lecture in that. But there's still, you can still elicit a lot um, with softer subjects that are more innately part of human nature. If you're teaching leadership, if you're teaching, you know, applied psychology or some, some things in education where the folks in the audience have a lot of experience that you can draw, you can elicit 50, 60, 70% uh, of uh, the content right from them. Um, when it's very pure technical things like what you're doing, it's probably a little bit less. But I mean, I had physics courses in college. I had physics courses in college where and the instructor droned on and on, lectured until we just wanted to scream and leave the room. And I had other physics classes where I remember wonderful conversations and us, us being the student and the professor, solving problems together. It wasn't him teaching us, it was we were learning together. And that he was doing a lot of eliciting, even with physics, uh, to freshmen. And how much do freshmen or sophomores in college know about physics? Not, not much, but that's a great, um, that's a great thing. So, solving, <laughs> if we didn't already have a name, for our 2008 instructional excellence workshop, I swear I'd walk in on Monday and say, "Hey, I've I've got the I got the name for uh, not that it probably hasn't been used in the past, but just go tell people and say, "Hey, solving problems together. We just got the name and the concept for the 2009 <laughs> instructional excellence you workshop." Go. You know, that's what I think is fun. I mean, I enjoy getting together in, in almost every workshop or class that I've done. The a lot of the feedback comes back and says. You know, he, he's very informal. And to me, I, I, I guess so. But 
Well, I guess why people say that is because I try to treat them as peers and equals that we're all kind of discovering things together uh, rather than me being the expert who's jaded and who knows what I'm talking about. And I'm just, you know, you all should be thankful to have me in the classroom to, to be teaching you things like this. I, I don't like that, that point of view at all. I like going into a classroom with people who know different things than I do. Generally, they know less about whatever subject it is, usually teaching. But I learn, I truly learn new things from people that I teach every single time because I elicit information and ideas from them. I'm thankful to the many ideas that I use in my workshops now that came from other people in workshops. Board plans is one of those ideas. I do a module on how to basically, instead of having a slideshow full of all the images that you want to convey to students, Know the one basic image, the one core image you want. Have that drawn up on your notes so that students don't see it. And then kind of co-create that design, that diagram, that image with the students during class. And you'll know if you've done it right, because if you've done it right at the end of class, the image that you've drawn up on the whiteboard should look pretty much exactly like the one in your notes. That's a board plan. I, uh, I work with a guy who sent out some information. It was, I was on one of our uh, internal continuing instructor training uh, CBTs. And I think it's actually a website. If I, if I, I'll make a note to, to send it to you as well. Uh, and I'll put it in the show notes, folks, because the rest of you are going, well, okay, what about us? But there was a, um, yeah, this private conversation that you're listening into, you lucky dogs. The, the deal the guy had was that people put too much stuff up, that their presentations, this was about presentations, but kind of about PowerPoint, but it's PowerPoint's pretty ubiquitous. And, and if I remember it correctly, his thing was that you need to have fewer and more powerful images that people learn that with the thing about what mm -hmm. sticks, that people learn from images that they, they're not going mm -hmm. to, very few people, you know, the Homeric uh, um, tradition is long gone. We don't memorize 14,000 lines of poetry anymore and have somebody in the village do it. That what generally sticks with people is the image. Why do Nike and Coca-Cola spend millions on branding? Because logos are everything. Those images that you just, that you see that image and that whole brand thing floods into your head. And that's what this guy was saying was kind of build your logo, build your image, find that one image that will be the image for that training that will flood back the memories that people have. And I would add to that, know what that one image is, you know, for any one unit or any one class, if you're going to teach a, a three hour class on, for example, in the EMT world, they might do a, a three hour class, one, one entire evening on uh, trauma assessment. I mean, how to do a head to toe assessment of an unconscious person to determine roughly what's wrong with them. Not just broken bones. Those are obvious things, but there's something called battle sign, which is a minor bruise behind the ear that indicates significant head trauma. You'll miss it unless you know exactly what you're looking for. And that's one of a dozen things which you, they teach EMTs and medics to look for in this rapid assessment. But, um, Teach looking for all those details is a complex process, and the the good teachers I think will have kind of one image of a body with about a dozen or two dozen little labels drawn out from it that says, "Look for battle sign behind the ear. Look for 
pupils being equal and reactive to light, look for CSF fluid coming out of the ear, da-da-da. But that entire, all the content of that, that three-hour class is summarized on one image. So I would say I agree with the idea of kind of, if it's possible, use one image. But I would also say try to co-create that image with your students rather than simply presenting it to them as a handout or, or a slide. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking that sounds very powerful. And I'm simultaneously thinking, wow, I would really like to learn from somebody some canned experience so I wouldn't just struggle along. How, how do you do this effectively? Yeah. And I'm, I'm working on that now. Um, like I said, board plans is one of the ideas that I got from my students. I mean, I'd heard about it for, for years and tried it a little bit, but it really clicked when, I was, when I'm watching all of my kind of participants, my, my trainees teach, practice teach. There's people who know what they're doing and who they're, they're very good and other people who are not. And one of the huge differences is that the good people that I teach, the one who's, who I say, you know, you're done, you're signed off, you're good to go. I'm not worried about you. Almost all of them tend to work from a board plan, whether they have ever heard the term before or not. Jake, uh, definitely want to thank you again so much for agreeing to come on Trainer's Trough and... Um it's been great. I'm sure that the, the people who are listening are going to get some great stuff out of it. I always give uh, the, the last couple of seconds the, the final word. Is there anything you want to say to close out at all? It's, I'm, I'm honored that you had me on, and it's been a joy just talking with you. I, I, I mean, teaching and training is, is what I love, and I love talking with people who are interested in doing it and interested in doing it better. I've come from I'm, – I'm honored to be able to pass on some of the ideas that other good people have passed on to me i can't claim credit for for most of what i'm i've told you here it's just been passed on to me so thanks for having me on and and thanks for giving me a venue to do what i love doing wonderful wonderful abject humility uh now gary the capitalist comes on for people remember there is jakemaztraining.com www.jakemaztraining.com correct that's it Mm mm-hmm and uh, lot, lots of links, and, uh, and you'd find information if you wanted to book Jake, if you wanted to talk to Jake or, or use him professionally. There's, there's information there that you, could, uh, you can get a hold of him, right? Yep, there is that, and two-day workshops and speaking engagements, absolutely, and there's lots of free resources on the website for you, too. And, and I can tell you, I've heard the guy, I've been in the presence of the guy, he wouldn't be on the show if, uh, if he hadn't done really good work. Uh, I... Uh, I put my head on the block to get him up to a workshop I was doing. I can tell you that. And, uh, and I wasn't disappointed. So thanks again. You bet. Thank you, Gary. And so there it was. What a uh, nice conversation between Jake and I. And I really don't have uh, too much more to say. I think that, uh, that sort of says it all for us. Um, this will not be going out in time for Christmas, obviously, but, well, actually, not obviously, but yeah, since it's Christmas Eve Eve, it won't. But it will go out in time for New Year's. So let me please uh, give each of you my fondest regards and wish you a very happy New Year and productive training New Year. Um, you know, may all your impo evaluations be number one. May you get no findings, uh, whatever, nuclear humor. And again, I would certainly love to hear from anybody. Big Pig at trainerstrough.com. If you've got somebody you think I should interview or a suggestion or criticism, please let me know. Other than that, 
uh, rock on, train on, and um, one of my New Year's resolutions is to do more than just every four months. So hopefully you'll see something useful uh, with a little greater frequency than it was in 2007. We'll see what I can do. Bye now. Thank you.